Welcome to the How the Why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, artists, and publishers that make up and inspire the 1888 family. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get creative. And welcome to the How the Why brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with Rachel Housel Hall, author of uh, multiple books, but most recently of the uh, Eloise Norton series and the third part of that series, Trail of Echoes, is about to be released. Congratulations on that. Thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Um, so... Yeah, you have yeah this this series. You know, we we talked a little bit before the series of uh, uh, Lou Norton, Eloise Norton, uh, three books, um, wonderful mystery stories of a cop solving crimes in Los Angeles. Um, was mystery from the the genesis of you as a writer? Was that the thing that's like, ah, that's what rings my bell. Yeah, it was the thing. At, at first, I didn't recognize it as such. But, you know, growing up, especially in Los Angeles, this city's full of mysteries. Why is the helicopter circling my house at 3 o'clock in the morning? Right. Why are people running? What are the bullets that are flying over my head? You know, so I kind of grew up asking why a lot and trying to figure out, you know, where I am in the world, in this world, and why don't I really see it reflected in the books I read? So I, you know, as a, as a young writer, my, I remember, and I still have my very first story that I wrote, it was third grade, and it was titled Blue Monday, mm. and I was moping about it, and why is everything not going my way? And, you know, it's kind of dark. And I'm sure my teacher's like, what the heck is going on with this kid? <laughs> but, you know, that was my kind of first dip into writing uh, a darker story. And my very first uh, published book, uh, Quiet Storm, even though it wasn't a traditional mystery, it still peeked into the dark side of why people do what they do. And in that case, it was mental illness. Mm. So it wasn't until a few years ago that after a life experience, I said, you know, I want to write a procedural a mystery. And I want to write it about the part of Los Angeles where I grew up with. And that's where the first book, Land of Shadows and Lee Norton, came into um, being. And I've been loving it ever since. So you said you, you started writing at th in third grade. Uh, did you know at a young age that that was going to be the career, that that was the thing that you wanted to pursue? No. In third grade, I was actually kind of fascinated with uniforms. So I wanted to be a nun or a Marine mm. or... And I wasn't Catholic, but I just like uniforms. Sure. And I like order. So both career paths seem, you know, right for me. But it wasn't, I think, until maybe 
seventh grade or so that I wanted to uh, start writing, particularly magazine writing, because at that time I was reading Seventeen Magazine and Young Miss, and I was fascinated with with magazines, and I wanted to write a magazine for Black girls, which there weren't any mm. for you know that, and you know in Seventeen you try to make up tips. But that shade's not for you if you're the shade of, you know, the cocoa bean. So <laughs> I wanted to create, once again, something for, for me and my friends. And the actual book, I believe, I really thought of becoming a writer my first real job out of college. It was at Penn Center USA West, which is kind of like, you know, Amnesty International, but for writers. Mm. And so I was surrounded by all these great published writers like Gary Phillips and Derby Turvalon and Eric Lacks. And I wanted to be like them and I wanted to go to the writing parties and be fabulous and smart and, and, and say really smart things. So that's when I started my first book. Now, how did you go about, you know, your, your first book, first thing, were you just submitting query letters all across the board? How did you go about finding your publisher and uh, um, getting it out there into the public? Yes. Uh, the first route, of course, was asking, you know, those writers around me, who is your, your editor and, and your publisher, uh, your agent. So I sent, you know, my query letters and got turned down, got turned down a lot of times. And then I tried to figure out why was I getting turned down? And I look at, took a look at my writing and I don't even remember what story it was, but it sucked. And so <laughs> I dropped it and thought about what is it that bothers me? What do I want to try and understand and, you know, try and avenge? And someone very, very close to me, uh, her son was dealing with bipolar disorder. And I just was watching how it was destroying her. And that made me sad and it piqued my interest. And so I wrote a book about, you know, what happens when you ignore bad things in your family. I mean, we all grew up with that uncle or that aunt or the cousin who kind of freaks out every now and then. And we kind of pretend that it's all okay. That's just Uncle Lou doing the thing that he does. Hmm. But, you know, a lot of times in our families, if when we don't actually pay attention to it, that person kind of, something happens, either something tragic or something mysterious where there are lots of ellipses of, well, whatever happened to so-and-so? So that was what my book was about. And I, you know, I really, really liked the the experience of writing it. And after I uh, landed an agent, she shopped it, and it took some time to find a home. But I did find it with um, Simon and Schuster with the Scribner line, and that was actually pre that was pretty exciting. Mm. It's a big, big house. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? It was a daunting. I mean, to have your first book with a company like that. Um, it wasn't, it was more kind of, um, I wouldn't say disappointing, but you know, you, you, you grow up and you see all these things about the writing life on TV and everything. And it wasn't, you know, the caviar and the champagne and, uh. the, you know, it was actually kind of every day. It's like, I got a book deal and then I had laundry to do. 
It was actually, and it wasn't enough where you quit your job and, you know, go buy the Bentley. Yeah. It was kind of just like, yay, this is kind of sweet. And, you know, that was kind of it. I did get to go on tour, but unfortunately, my book was published the first anniversary after 9-11. So no one really, you know, no one really cared because it was the first anniversary of 9-11. But I did get to go on tour and ride in a car town car and you know have meet really really cool people and fans and that was actually that was wonderful and seeing my book in the bookstore and you know those things that you always dream of now what was was there pressure after that to have like this really powerful follow-up oh yes god it was awful um and I had several stories. I write. I just, I keep, I never stop writing. I'm, I'm always writing something. And unfortunately for me at the time, the whole uh, urban lit movement was starting where, you know, Sister Soldier and those types of books. And I wasn't that type of writer. And I actually have letters from editors basically saying that my writing's not black enough. <laughs> Wow. And which I could understand because it's like, well, I've been black all my life, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're writing what you know, yeah. I, yeah, I, I I grew up in poor areas. I I I know of what I'm talking about, and so I could not get another deal, not another deal to save my life. And one of uh, the literary agents, I because my agent and I we eventually parted because she couldn't sell anything, and. I was back to looking for an agent and one agent, she really liked me, but she already had a a client who was writing something similar, nonfiction, and the woman was white. And it ended up being a whole thing where the woman told it, none of what she was saying in her nonfiction book was true. Wow. So it kind of, you know, hurt because here she, the, the agent, threw me over and yeah. under the bus for an authentic experience for, you know, something she thought would sell. So it took some time for me to find the right agent. I had, you know, a few close, close calls, but no one that helped me figure out what it was I should be writing and who understood my voice. Because, you know, I, I like dark, but I also like to laugh because if you don't laugh, then, you know, you end up slitting your wrists and that's that. So, <laughs> you know, some people, some a- editors and agents didn't get that, but I eventually found one who did and she's she's wonderful. And that's who my character, that's who Lou is. She sees and experiences the dark things in life, but she knows how to crack a joke and smile every now and then. You had uh, two other books, The View from Here and and No One Knows You're Here. That was your kind of entry into this mystery. Exactly, yes. Um, I I published those on my own because, once again, uh, no one wanted to buy them. They weren't, you know, black enough or whatever. And... The view from here, once again, was a story about uh, a woman who's suffering loss and is starting to see things because she's suffering from, you know, losing her husband. And then no one knows you're here. It was based a little on the grim sleeper case that's Mm -hmm. going on now in Los Angeles. 
about women who are on the margins who disappear and no one, you know, cares enough to find out who is killing, you know, these women. So I'm getting, you know, closer and closer with each book in terms of mystery and procedural until I landed at Land of Shadows. And the heroine in No One Knows You're Here, Sayida McKay, is actually um, a friend of Lou's in Land of Shadows. She's oh, now a part of this universe. I was going to ask. It, <laughs> it, it felt like Saida could have had her own series. Yes, yes, yes. And there is still a chance for me to do that once you know, I have the time because – you know, a newspaper journalist is a totally different experience than a cop. Right. So one day I will get back to size her own adventures and, and, and you know, when, when I have a moment. Now, when you, uh, uh, when you discovered Lou, created Lou, uh, birthed her, I guess, mm -hmm. did you know that she was going to have a whole series or were you just writing that first story? I wanted, in my in my mind, in my my hopes, I wanted to create a series because at this when I first uh, started thinking better, I was reading a lot of Michael Connolly and Walter Mosley and Dennis Lehane, and there had only been one or two books I'd read with an African American heroine, and that was you know Paula Woods. She was one, and her stories all take place in post uh, riot Los Angeles. And then Valerie Wilson Wesley, who's on the East Coast, and she has um, a detective, a, a PI. But other than those two, there were no younger, you know, Gen X uh, black female detectives in South Los Angeles. And so I'm like, well, maybe I can do that. And what incited me to, to do it, because I was terrified, I'm not a cop. I never dated a cop. My sister dates cops, but you know, that's as far as it gets. What, what made me decide to do it um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, um, I was diagnosed with this weird uh, breast cancer. And so while I'm trying to have my daughter, I'm actually getting, you know, uh, surgeries done. Mm. So the whole fear of dying kind of puts things into perspective of, yeah. you know, of what real fear is. And after I went through that, I wasn't scared anymore. It's like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? So I'm going to do it. It's what I want to do. I'm going to write a mystery series, and she will be Lou Norton. And that's how it happened. So you feel, even after Trail of Echoes, there may be more? Oh, definitely. I'm actively working on the fourth one right now. And I have ideas for the fifth and sixth, but I also want to do a standalone uh, novel, something else that uh, I started a while back that I want to get back to. So, yeah, I, I like to be the black Sue Grafton hmm. <laughs> without an alphabet. <laughs> and uh, also, I wanted her. To, I want her to be dynamic. I don't want her to be static. Like with each book, you know, I think about what she's gone through in that prior book and then mold her and shape her and into what she should be after going through whatever that was. Right. So, yeah. Talk a little she, bit of, about your, your research for this. Like you said, you, you, you weren't a cop. Um, you said your sister dated cops, but obviously <laughs> there had to have been a, a lot of 
research and writing a procedural? What what exactly do you do? What exactly do you do to prepare for each story? Right. So fortunately, the, the mystery world is a very, it's one of the friendliest communities I've ever been in as a writer. And so you also have, you know, a lot of experts, uh, co- cops who are writers in, in the genre. So I will email those uh, writers who are also cops. I will ask them questions. I went on boards, writing boards, forums for uh, mystery writers, ask questions there. I also attend um, a lot of conferences like Baltricon or Left Coast Crime, those types of things. And experts come there and I ask really, you know, very obtrusive questions of the cops, especially female cops dealing with, you know, a, a male world. How do you do this? What happens when this happens? Sex and violence and all kinds of things. Mm. And then I read a lot of books. Miles Corwin, I read his book. And um, uh, gosh, the guy who wrote The Wire, I know his name. Like David Simon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I read a lot of that and looked at a lot of, like I would read, I mean, I, I would watch the first 48, but I'm not watching necessarily for the story. I'm looking at the squad room, what's on people's desks, what's on the coat hanger back there, what's in the rear view mirror visor thing, hmm. just to get, you know, an inside look at, you know, at their everyday world. So I just collect, collect, collect information in my Evernote web clipper <laughs> and, and just keep going back and forth with it. And, you know, always staying fresh, always reading, you know, other greats. Of the, of the genre, not when I'm writing, because then I would just stop writing because they're so great. And, you know, I, it would depress me to read and write at the same time. But yeah, I just collect a lot of information and listen and, and ask questions. Now, as far as like the, the crime for each book, what are some of the... Uh, inspirations or are they just idea do you just have a, a list of ideas of what the crime could be and uh, yeah I, I do have you know I'm living in Los Angeles you get a lot of inspiration of, of crimes and unfortunately you know uh, a lot of things are happening right now for for skies of ash at the time that I was about to start writing a lot of men were killing their families and then also at the same time, a lot of my friends were going through divorces and mm. divorces where they're discovering their husbands had these secret lives and lovers and families and all kinds of things. So sometimes personal life kind of brushes up against what's going on in the world right now. Um, Land of Shadows, it came out of um, Chief Bernard, well, former Chief Bernard Parks, his daughter, Lori who was gunned down at the Popeye's Chicken on La Brea and Jefferson, that kind of always stayed with me because I have friends who had that kind of double life where they're nice middle-class, upper-middle-class girls at home, but they date, you know, Crips and Bloods Mm. and all kinds of bad guys. So once again, the real life brushed up against what was happening in the news And for Trail of Echoes, you know, I was writing it when a lot of young black girls were being murdered and no one was, you know, paying attention. And once again, you know, it's like, well, I write about something that I want to stay with for 90,000 words, basically. I have to care. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit of what's going on in the world to what's really making me sad and angry at the moment. And Lou is a great Avenger. So I'll stick her on whatever problem this is. Now, you said that like early on when you were shopping books that you kept hearing this this term of uh, that they're they're not black enough. Right. Does that put a pressure on you to create a different story? I mean, I mean, now you already have this this success and you're already going, but is there still is that still a part of your thought of like, oh my, I have to make this into? No, not at all. Uh, you know, at first, you know, my husband's like, you know, you should just write a sellout novel and just do it. But I I don't have a lot of time. I still have a full time job and I'm a mom. So I don't have a lot of time. So really, I do have to be passionate about something to make me get up at 530 in the morning, you know, before going to work and writing an hour a day before doing everything else. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I trust that, I ha- one, I have a lot of faith in, in, in God and in readers that I know there are readers out there who understand you know my 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 place because it's their same place the duality of being an african-american in this in in this country and then the experience of being a woman in you know male male roles so i've never really thought of saying oh i need to you know color this up some because it's pretty i mean i still get in like a few good reads reviews that I use too much slang mm. and which that just makes me laugh because it's like honey you have no idea yeah, how much it's... more slang I could have used <laughs> but I try to make you know Lou speak the way I would right. her, her background is similar to mine and you know when I'm alone I drop my g's and say ain't a lot but then when I'm out you know I know not to let things dangle at the end of sentences. So I, I you know, I, I balance it out to, to what I am. Now, you, you talk about, you know, so these ideas for these stories are uh, based on a lot of what's happening in the world and in the news. As an African-American cop, is mm-hmm. there in and with everything that's happening now with this the the police and you know black lives matter mm-hmm. is there a pressure to or do you have like is there a part of you that wants to have some sort of playing with that or using that in the story um yeah and actually you know it's weird because what's going on in the larger larger comp- country right now. LA, we've done this already. Sure. We've had our we've had a few riots by now. So, this is kind of old hat for us. And growing up in Los Angeles, you know, I remember having to rush through Beverly Hills in the 80s because we're trying to get to Westwood and we're not supposed to be in Beverly Hills mm. or Pasadena or Glendale. So, Lou is like me, she's grown up with that. So, she's already having this kind of weird relationship of, you know, a law-abiding citizen, but a black law-abiding citizen and the tenuous relationships we've always had with 
cops. Right. So I, you know, I do reflect, especially in this third novel where she does return to her uh, home, her childhood neighborhood again. We they talk about the characters talk to her about, oh, you made it out and now you're back, that kind of thing, and how as a cop she's in and out she understands the neighborhood she's of the neighborhood but she's not of the neighborhood so that weird kind of space she occupies which you know uh, many african americans especially in los angeles we've always occupied we've Mm. always had this love-hate relationship with cops where yes we call you when we need you but why are you stopping me right now right so it's a it's a weird thing to uh look at all the other places that are going through these uh, growing pains and, and racial tensions. Well, and, and we're so connected now that there's yeah. nothing to be hidden. Right. And everything right. is it's exposed. It's all out. It's all out. And, you know, it's, it's weird that LAPD now is one of the uh, models that folks look to. It took us a very, very long time to get to a place where they believed in community policing and, you know, getting to know your neighbors instead of, you know, trying to arrest them. It took, we still have a long way to go, but we are much better than what we used to be, what I grew up with. I'm going to make a, shift here and it's not not an awkward shift but definitely going Mm -hmm. in a different direction uh how has being a mother affected the way you write it's it's weird one it's one thing that it's still mine me writing is it it is all me and i'm glad that i have it so my daughter can see that you are more than what your ovaries are Mm. you you don't you, you are not a worker for someone else, you are not always a mother or always a wife. You can still have something of yours that you always dreamed about and you can do it. It also um, made me more of a realist. I, before having her, I always thought, oh, I could never write about children dying and that's just awful. And But being a mom and being a very aware mother, you know that children are sometimes at the brunt of the violence in Mm. society. And if Eloise is going to be a true uh, character, she's going to have to deal with dead kids. And while it broke my heart as I was writing about dead kids, it, it was real. It was true. And I got to do some avenging for it. But at the same time, it, it freaks me out because I am paying attention to the stories and, you know, delving into those places where same people <laughs> don't. And I write stories in my head. My daughter and I will be walking down a street and I'm thinking, oh no, a car is going to careen right. and crash into us. And <laughs> Worst case scenario. Right. Yeah. I'm always worst case scenarios and I have to talk myself out of it. But at the same time, I use those same powers to help her become more observant. We play this game where we'll see police activity or something. And I'll ask her as we're driving past, you know, what did you see? What was that person wearing? Was it a sheriff's car or was it an LAPD car? Just to get her to be aware of her surroundings. So in that way, you know, I am using my scary superpowers to help her become uh, more aware and kind of 
pull her out of the naivete that the world is this very, very safe place. It can be, but at the same time, you need to be Be aware aware of what's going on. Yeah. Um, Now, you're a mother, you're a full-time, you you work for the City of Hope. Well, actually, I I am no longer with City of Hope up until almost a month ago. Okay. (laughs) I'm now with Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, which is another, it's another cancer-related organization, but it's um, uh, more of advocacy and a whole bunch of other things in addition to solving the cancer problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But and, once again, it's a job. And you're a full-time writer. Yes. So, so my, my question is, what do you do to find, you said a little bit about writing every morning, but like talk uh-huh. a little bit about what your routine is to quiet your mind, to put you, you know, to, get you in that writer mode and get the words flowing. Right. So I do get up at 5.30 every morning and I'm out of the house by 5.50 to get to my job. And there I will write uh, whatever chapter I try to leave uh, my writing like right in the middle so I don't have to figure out what was it that I was doing yesterday. I'm right in the middle of it. And so I will write edit or, you know, transcribe for that hour, 15 minutes that I have left until I have to start. And once again, when I stop, I'm in the middle of whatever the chapter is so that, you know, I can be fresh. And then, you know, when I used to commute from Duarte, which is 40 miles or so from where I work for where I live, I would have my post-it notes with me and I jot questions and solutions down as I'm sitting on the tin. Stuck in traffic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I will get to, to doctor's appointments or dentist appointments pretty early so that I can sit in the car and write some more. Hmm. And then I get up on Sundays at five 30 and I write until nine. So I take every opportunity I can, you know, to write. And when my brain is tired, I sit and play <laughs> video games. <laughs> I'm playing Fallout 4 right now and I'm loving it because right. it, 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 it's, you know, it gives me time to not think about anything else except finding ammo. <laughs> and it's a great story too. It's a great story. There's a lot of great yeah. stories in video games. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. This is a, a lot of fun. Well, thank you, John. I had a great time. This has been The How, The Why by 1888. I'm John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The music is Mayalua by Bossa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration, and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you. 